millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Peacock is streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office, Chrisley Knows Best, and Peacock original shows like Funky Brewster. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. My name is Dave Hanready and welcome to episode 54 of the No Encore Music Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my two best friends of the whole wide world, Craig Fitzpatrick. Oh, hello, Dave. I love you too. Colin Regan. Hey, buddy. What's up? It's a house of love. <laughs> you it didn't certainly act- is. Yeah, I just realized you didn't actually say, I love you guys. So I was just like, I love you too, Dave. It's okay. You know, like you, you, you're needy. It's fine. I am needy. And also, you sounded slightly disingenuous when you came in. But you know, Well, I never. You have a lot of friends. Um, <laughs> We've been busy. We've been doing things. We have been, yeah, just looking at this running order. <laughs> Cullum, in particular, has been particularly busy. Because last week, a uh, clarification corner. Indeed. Last week on the show, when we record the show, we record it on Thursday evening. And it tends to be that like big things will happen after the fact. Like, pretty much in the next few hours when we go out on the piss afterwards or whatever happens. Mm-hmm. You know, people release big songs. Uh, you know, like a, a ro- legendary rock star might pass it's, it's away. It's Murphy's Law, Dave. It's Murphy's Law. We said on the show last week that Anani mm-hmm. had not responded to your email. Blanked me. But that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, two days later, what do you know? Email from Anani. It took her a while. Yeah, well, she said that she's been reading through thousands of Oh, she's actually reading them. Oh, the fair play. I mean... Yeah, but I can only presume so, and that's what the delay is. Like, it's not an automated reply thing. Oh, cool. Certainly. So what was the... Can you fill us in on oh, the no, response? Oh, not an was... actual personal response, oh, to be okay. fair. Oh, she just sends you the track and says, like, kind regards. Well, there's a big <laughs> letter with it, like, talking oh. about how, you know, so many of the correspondences have been sharing... I smell a rat. Thoughts oh, you, <laughs> you think this is a copy and paste job? I think this is oh, an in- intern yeah, PR I d- job. I don't think this is a personal reply to oh, Colm okay, right. But your e- your email presumably was personal. 
Uh, oh yeah. Well, what was he going to do? But, um, <laughs> get get yeah. personal. But basically, as well, it also adds that uh, I asked you, please do not post this song anywhere online or share this link with others. If anyone else wants to hear it, just tell them to send me an email and I'll send it to them. He hasn't even so, sent uh, it to us, listener. So he's abiding exactly. by the rules. Yeah, yeah, I can't tell you anything. Are you going to tell us what you said to her in the original? No. This is. You know what, Craig? You're my best friend. <laughs> Cullum. Yay! Oh. You're downgraded to friend. <laughs> Am I on the list? I can't believe we fell out over an anony bonus track. <laughs> it's always going to be this way. But Cullum, there was other correspondence when you sent a, a photograph into our group chat of you in a Viking helmet in a pub in in Belfast, yeah. surrounded by lads in other Viking helmets and Norwegian flags. What's all that about? I got carried away. Uh, <laughs> went, went to Northern Ireland, Norway. Um, I like I've been telling people, like, uh, oh, you know, it's because my girlfriend is Norwegian. No, it's because I like live sports, and of this course, was a good yeah. excuse to make her come along. Um, so yeah, night in Belfast, uh, it was like Norway are terrible at football. Are they really bad? Like yeah. so bad. Like, so like, off, like far regular off my listeners will know that like I'm a fan of a second division Norwegian team, and like obviously they're bad. But I'd always put it down <laughs> to the fact that you know, way to get second them. <laughs> division Norwegian club. Give them their shout out. Listen up, what's up, boys? Um, but, like, I'd always kind of figured, you know, okay, so that's the standard of the second tier. The guys at the top tier are going to be better. And then the guys who go abroad and play in, like, Germany or England, they're going to be, like, fantastic, normal, international football level. No, no, th- these guys were awful. It was incredible. Uh, so are they just, like, part-timers? Are they, well, or do they have any decent... No, th- these are proper players with proper professional contracts, like, across okay. Europe. Um, they're just not... Very good, it seems. Yeah. Did you make any new friends? Made, like loads new, made loads awesome. of new friends, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you hung out with a trumpeter? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he yeah, was dressed the, very flamboyantly. The trumpet player, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, was he better than the fucking he was Irish an guy? a lot better than the Irish God. bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was dreadful. That was an absolute abomination. And apparently hired by the FAI. Yeah, to drown out <laughs> anti-FAI chants. <laughs> oh, really? That yeah. shouldn't surprise that anybody. No, it should not. Dave, you did something. I did. I went to see Batman, Tim Burton's Batman, 1989, in 70mm in the oh. Irish Film Institute. You're such a hipster. Did you bring a bit of granola for half time? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, no, no, I didn't snack at all. You can't snack in there. Like, like it's it's much too uh, formal. I would say. Uh, yeah, um, enjoyable film. Mad nostalgic pangs for me. Like when I was a kid, I I had trading cards. You know, kind of like yeah. piecing the movie together because I was too young to go see it in the cinema. And I remember like you know when there were ads for it on TV when it, when it came out on TV, and you had the bit where like you know Joker gets water thrown in his face and he says boo. That freaked me out as a kid. I was so scared by it. Yeah. But, um, you know, you get, like, this great 70mm print. Have you ever seen a 70mm uh, reel? I don't think so. It's mm. massive. It's heavy. It, like, it, it, like, it, like it, it probably weighs more than us combined. Okay. Wow. Scary, like, proper old-school stuff. So it was a pleasure, like, to kind of have that weird throwback experience. And I will say that, I mean, like, and also a massive pleasure to hear Prince's songs on the soundtrack. Oh, play, yeah. Played at what full a volume. And see Jack Nicholson mugging about. I'd argue that the joke is in that movie a bit too much, but we're not here to review Batman 89. That, we're not. That, that has been and gone. <laughs> Good, I haven't seen him in about um, 15 years. What I will say is, it does kind of turn into set design the movie. Oh, even more so Batman Returns. Probably, yeah. Just I think Batman Returns is a better cartoonish. movie, though. I saw, that one. It, okay. I, was, I saw that as a kid in the cinema, and I was freaked out. I had a weird kind of old-school VHS box set of that when I was a kid. Nice. It was like a making-of thing. There was a book that came with it. It was very exciting. Very good. good. Well, also exciting, and it says here in my preamble running notes, Craig goes for a jog by the canal. It's just getting depressing now what's on the running order of what I've been up to in the past seven days. I did go for a jog by the canal. How was it? It was good, yeah. 5k. I've been keeping at it. The weather's been glorious, so I had to get out there and, you know, do a bit of running. Um, 
I mean, I could start doing like every track or every album we review. I can give it like how good is this music for jogging because well, that's where I do us, most of my listening. You can tell us later on because you were mostly accompanied by the album that we'll be reviewing this week, which is Father John. Yeah, Misty. I mean, a bit of a struggle. It kind of harkened back to when I was running by a canal and listening to Frank Ocean, where it was a bit slow and a bit like. It's not going to get you through that last mile. Like. Yeah. Well, you can go for a jog by the canal later on when I'm going to see Run the Jewels. That's yeah. what I'm doing tonight. And boom, I'll boom. report okay. back on that. <laughs> oh, that wasn't even meant to be a pun. <laughs> I'm, I'm just on. However, we did miss one big gig this week. And yeah. by all accounts, it was quite the gig. Stormzy came to Dublin. And in honour of his arrival, this giant mural popped up in Smithfield. Yeah, that was really weird. Like, I've, I've got to say, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I like it, but... You know, you feel as though there's a hundred thousand things that we could have put murals up for over the years and never did. And Stormzy is the one. Yeah, it is entirely random. Uh, apparently the people who put it up said they did it because he's a complete boyo, which is fair enough. Fair enough. But um, I don't know, we seem to have a lot of murals of late. There's a kind of mural craze let, going let on. Let me point out again. Like I spent my weekend <laughs> weekend in Belfast. We have no murals down here. Trust me. <laughs> Any of Stormzy? <laughs> no, not so much. Right, I'm Stormzy so shocked. appears to be neither on the falls or the Shankill. I yeah. thought this was really cool, and so did Stormzy, who went to see it today, a time of recording. That took would be a bit surreal if you were Stormzy. Photographs next to it. Lots of kids coming up to him. He seems like a cool guy, a man of the people. Was he? I'm imagining he was as perplexed as everyone else. He like was. Why Dublin was doing this? He totally, totally was. But uh, by all accounts, that gig was incredible. But let's have one account because we couldn't make it, so we decided we'd send roving reporter Fanula Jones with a news update from the gig. What do you get when you bring together David McSavage, Stormzy, and a load of fourteen-year-olds? Rest assured, it's not whatever you just said. The biggest thing to happen to Graham since Barry Scott, Stormzy chose Dublin's Olympia Theatre as the kickoff point for his Gang Signs and Prayer Tour in support of his debut album of the same name. It's a show which brings together a suitably diverse crowd, reflected in the attendance of the former RT comedian and the parents of prepubescent boys, including one mother who was repeatedly told she was a MILF by the eager crowd below. If you don't know what that stands for, it's not up for me to tell you. Now, there are a lot of preconceptions about artists like Stormzy and the genre itself, and the above comments probably don't do much in dashing those preconceptions. Black artists are angry. Grime is an aggressive genre. Not so. The London rapper acknowledges that while he could give the crowd an hour and ten of pure grime, he doesn't. Gargantuan tracks like Return of the Rucksack and Cold are interspersed with soft pauses of Velvet and the Kalani feature Cigarettes and Kush. Initially, the pacing comes across a little stilted, but then, like a good iPod shuffle and a questionable iTunes library, he syncs up with the crowd. Pit gores are remarkably polite, probably because they still have set bedtimes, and while there's passion and aggression, it is zealous, not malicious. A few rude boys did lose the run of themselves at the sight of this woman in a sports bra, but they were promptly told to shut up. Stormzy's not yet too big for his boots, but given his longitude booking and the crowd's reaction, he may soon be too big for the Olympia. For No Encore, I'm Fanula Jones. Thank you, Fanula. And now over to Craig with the weather. Uh, it's going to be Stormzy. <laughs> oh. I'm so sorry. It's your fault. Start the episode again. I did set him up, but also set up this week. Bob Dylan. He's been held to ransom, lads. To be fair, I don't know now if this is Bob Dylan being held to ransom or Bob Dylan just ordering that the world revolves around him. Uh, He's like finally arranged to accept his Nobel Prize if he gets a mural in Smithfield. (laughs) 
But he's insisted <laughs> that no media is allowed there. And he's going to send a taped Nobel lecture rather than delivering it in person. However, this means that he will not get the cash prize of 8 million kroner, 900,000 American dollars, or 725,000 uh, sterling. Now, hold on. I believe you're incorrect there. Because Sorry. I think that the lecture, even though it's taped, is fulfilling the Still condition. Counts. I think that's why he's doing it. Otherwise, why would he bother doing anything at all? That's quite a lot to pay for a Skype session, isn't it? <laughs> Bob Dylan you or no Bob Dylan? Just, I mean, it is quite a strange kind of condition to have on the Nobel Prize to begin with, isn't it? That you have to deliver a lecture. I suppose it's about the promotion of the whole thing. I think that makes but. sense, though. I mean, I feel like it, like it's, it's a massive high honor for a lot of creative type of people. He, in particular, has been honored like kind of the first of his kind, really. So, essentially, well, well, well the other thing now, no, the, the main thing is that like it's not so much for creative type people. Most of the Nobel Prizes oh, course, are given sorry, yeah, for peace. academic yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of things, and so they could explain why exactly they're getting it and what they what yeah, breakthroughs they've yeah, yeah, and a lecture from somebody who has you know devoted their entire life to like physics or chemistry or economics or whatever, yeah, might have you know some, catch us doing that? some real worth music podcasts. <laughs> That's what we do. Well, he he wrote a kind of acceptance letter. That was read out by, I think, the president of the committee. Yeah. And he was kind of... In a husky voice. He compared himself quite a lot to Shakespeare. I've still <laughs> never seen anybody less pleased to receive an award, it seems. <laughs> yeah. uh, young Fathers? Young Fathers, yeah. Actually, <laughs> Mercury yeah. Prize? We'll give it to Young Fathers, perhaps. I mean, after Barack Obama gets the Peace Prize when he's in the middle of a war... I mean, can we, you know, trust any of these doling out of Nobel Prizes? Well, look, at least Bob Dylan is still with us, and he's respecting his own right to privacy, because when you pass away and shuffle off Jeez. this mortal coil, some musicians don't get to still have... At least have... he's still with us. So, I'm, trying, I'm trying to link. Okay. And you stepped all over it. <laughs> you know what, man? You're not my best friend. I don't... I, Colin, I don't. I'm right back off. You're back in. Hey, I will just warn go. you, Colm, he's quite a fickle best friend to have. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's about 45 minutes to go in this show. We'll see who's standing tall by the end of it. Uh, Jeff Buckley. Yeah, the handwritten journals of Jeff Buckley will be published for the first time in a new book titled Jeff Buckley, His Own Voice. And it's due out spring of 2019, so a couple of years to go, and feature letters, lyrics, and photographs from him. Com- it's compiled and edited by his mother and a prominent writer, who says, you know, in choosing these uh, pages to share with the world, I'm giving him the chance to speak with his own voice. For the record, and for his fans, see what a sweet, funny, amazing human being he was. There'll also be an audiobook edition as well, featuring unreleased recordings, uh, and his outgoing voicemail message, and his list of a hundred things to do. Like, this just sounds like it's getting a bit too personal. It is weird. I mean, like, Jeff Buckley is definitely one of those artists that's been kind of fetishized, I suppose. Mm. Um, I mean, the fact that his mother is involved tends to kind of like persuade me to give the benefit of the doubt frankly or um, is it your worst nightmare my mom's going through all of my stuff yeah no, <laughs> I, I mean the thing is though like most of what we've ever heard from jeff buckley has been posthumous yeah you know I mean, in terms like, of volume yeah yeah like like sketches from my sweetheart the drunk was entirely just made up of you know like what was it kind of four and eight track demos yeah. for for his what was meant to be his second album uh, live album came out after his death and frankly most of his acclaim has as well um, something yeah. that I didn't know is that he he, he first kind of like came to real prominence in the states with Hallelujah um, after somebody did it on a talent show what? yeah it wasn't until 1998 that that song actually broke 
I'm surprised that in 1998 there was someone doing it on a talent show. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That seems very early for that. Seems like kind of to predate all that stuff. But yeah, this kind of reminded me of when Kurt Cobain's journals were released. And I actually remember getting that as a teenager. And then I think I've thrown it away because it was just kind of very creepy sitting yeah. on a shelf. I mean, I mean, that's the thing, though, like with Kurt Cobain, especially like now that his daughter is of the age that like she can make sort of sensible decisions, so to speak. Yeah. And Courtney Love has very much sort of... <laughs> Are you suggesting that Courtney Love wasn't making sensible decisions about the... I, I would never allege <laughs> su- such a thing. Well, she's Craig's buddy. <laughs> she is, actually. Yeah, we hung out in Trinity. And by hung out, I mean we were across the room and I asked her one question. And can we talk about how you scrambled to edit that question off the footage because it involved <laughs> Hot Press being slagged off while you worked there and were reporting for Hot yeah, Press? So I, was it just like you at the live show, basically? <laughs> what happened there? There was no editing there. Remember, no. hope no one from Hot Press is here. And oh, then, then Roshin's like, hello. Yeah. Shout this out was to Roshin. Oh, this is different because this is like Craig was still under the Hot Press you know, collar and it was like, hey, Craig, where's that audio? We, or where's that footage? We need it now. And you're like, yeah, just working on it. Um, because there was some slagging off about Hot Press's... Um, it was... Courtney Love, back in the 80s, she was actually a photographer for Hot Press for like a couple of months or something. She you know, did. My native Drado, I believe. Yeah, she did. She did a few. I think she photographed the Pretenders and did some bits and bobs. And she was then she was kind of just talking about that. And she kind of said, well, I don't think I actually got paid for that. Like, uh, you know, I don't remember getting money or they were very scroungy. And I was just like, yeah, some things never change. <laughs> 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 got a big laugh. I was loving life. And then I was like, oh, no, this is supposed to go up on Hot Press. So I got the next day. <laughs> So yeah, it's, uh, I'm I'm a whiz on the editor, so no one ever found out about it until now. I can't wait to read your handwritten journal someday. Hopefully, <laughs> while you're still with us. <laughs> but uh, someone who is also still with us, and we can't seem to get a wo- <laughs> what a link! What a link! Also alive. Oh. God. We can't seem to get away from this person. His name is Ed Sheeran, and uh, he's back in the news with a a story worthy of running in the onion. Um, A a lady got jailed after playing his music, Mm -hmm. playing Shape of You on repeat. Was that Selena Murphy's favourite song from that record? Was, yeah. Was it Selena? Is Selena in prison? I hope she's not. (laughs) I like Selena a lot. Yeah, she's a massive fan of that song, even though it's terrible. Well, it turns out it's damaging to your health, Craig. Yeah, so apparently um, this woman was sent to prison after playing Shape of You on repeat, at high volume, late at night. And Ed thought that it was awesome. Uh, So he was on Good Morning Britain. Yeah, kind of. He goes, I mean, it's obviously not awesome she's going to prison, but I do think it's awesome that, like, (laughs) it's now got to a point that someone has actually been jailed for playing my music. Again, we talked about the dark side of Ed Sheeran when we were talking about his album. I told you, man. It's another glimpse, isn't it? Toxic masculinity. He's the sort of bloke who's actually going to have a laugh about this. I mean, I mean, it's not unusual, though. I remember there was a story in Ireland with a similar case, and it was Nathan Carter I think we talked about this on the show, We yeah. did, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think you'll also agree that it's probably more deserved for Nathan <laughs> Carter than Ed Sheeran. I don't know. I can imagine that Ed Sheeran album driving you demented. It, but not, not even album. It's the same song over and over well, yeah. again. Like, I, like, yeah. like, no matter what song you pick. I mean, okay, so if you had to listen to one song for 24 hours on repeat, what would you go with? Ah, no. Oh, gosh. What an awful question that is. To not have rehearsed, I agree. One song on repeat. For 24 hours. See, this is the thing. I think it, any song would just drive you demented after the second hour, maybe. You just lose your mind. Can I actually, like, I have no idea what my answer to this question is, but I must say that uh, on The Walking Dead, th- there's, like, this kind of theme where they're torturing people by playing this kid's song called Easy Street. Okay. Uh, here's a clip. We're on Easy Street. And it feels so and you're on easy street. 
and obviously it continues like that. The idea being that it will drive you mental. My missus sings that song for fun. <laughs> if you try to torture her by playing that song, she'd just be like, "Oh, good." I'm gonna say re- I'm gonna say regulate. Because the narrative is so strong that you'll always find different things. It's in a, true, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I might actually go for something not dissimilar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I might go with no diggity. Maybe Dre's next episode. I think I could work with that. Okay, yeah, right. yeah. Failing that, the Guile theme from Street Fighter Two. <laughs> I feel like that's playing in your head constantly. Anyway, yeah, that's is. not going to drive you mental. Yeah, well, you know what? I feel it's constantly playing in your head, Craig. Yeah, Britpop. What's that about? <laughs> well, Britpop is over. It's officially dead. Well, people can't let since it go. 1999, I believe. Do we know when exactly the, the death toll? It was probably Be Here Now that killed it off, wasn't it? When it was released and everyone gave it five star reviews. Yeah. And it turned out that it was actually shit. Um, the bubble kind of burst. Well, not for Pitchfork. And this is a weird list that they've put out ah, for it's Pitchfork. A very, isn't it? very strange one. They've done the top 50 mm-hmm. Britpop albums of all time or of that mid 90s period. And I'm kind of thinking, was there 50 Britpop albums? Well, this first is the of thing. Like, they yeah, have the, that they, was shocking, I thought. Yeah. They have the loosest definition you've ever seen. I mean, people like Morrissey, Placebo, the Divine Comedy yeah. all make I mean, appearances here. I mean, you know, the Benz is quite high up there. I don't think Radiohead were Britpop. No, not a chance. They just happened to be playing guitars around the same time. Yeah, and this is like the best British albums of the 90s, essentially. And of course, as you would imagine, I mean, lots of Blur, lots of Oasis. Number one going to probably probably quite correctly different class pulp yeah, just I, in terms of what it stood for and it's it's the quintessential Britpop of its time yeah, thing I mean, I mean the one thing is that like reading the list you feel as though there's not necessarily as much weight given to kind of cultural impact yeah. as this is just album reviews yeah. and, and yet, then, then more of it's just flat out wrong I'm, I'm, like they're talking about like Ashes 1977 like it starts with you know they're absolutely not Britpop. What are they doing on the list then? Yeah, it's too much of that. Yeah, and yeah. then it's just like, you know, and it hinges on Girl from Mars and Angel Interceptor. And it's like, no, oh yeah, it's in the middle of that album. Like, with, and with there's the star-making single. Yeah, and lower down there's kind of mentions of, you know, very much Britpop also runs. And the entry will essentially be, they kind of had one hit-ish and didn't do anything after that. But they paved the way for Radiohead, who played support to them. And now it's like very... Oh, they, they it's c- reaching for sure. Yeah. Look, I, 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 I really hate sweeping generalizations. I hate them. They're terrible. Go ahead. Britpop was trash. <laughs> well, no, I think there was a lot of good albums that came out of it, but it is. It does remind you that Britpop was just apart from Elastica, white men <laughs> playing yeah. guitars. Yeah. I mean, you think hey, of all Laura the great... Laverne and Kanicki. Oh, sorry, this is true. Yeah, Kanicki. I apologise deeply. Um, but you think of the great, like, trip-hop that was happening at the time, and there's yeah. so much other great, like, sonic things happening, ad- more adventurous things. I mean, it was so nostalgic, Britpop. It was essentially rerun a rerun of the 1960s, and now we're talking about that rerun 20 years later. Yeah. Before, before we absolutely abandon this, by the way, have you come to terms with the fact that Brexit's actually happening now? It's not going to happen. We've got two years, <laughs> all right? There's actually, the EU, the European Commission, put in their letter back to Britain. They said that actually you can, you know, you can back out of this. So, I'm just saying. I loved Donald, not to get all, like, you know, business journalists, but I loved Donald Tusk's <laughs> remark when he was handed the letter. The, like, you know, official, here's your Theresa May's letter saying we're leaving. He was just like, we miss you already. <laughs> like, in a really sarcastic way. <laughs> well, look. Europeans. Whether it's Brexit, whether it's Britpop, I, I, I'm the kind of guy who likes to let go of the past and look forward to the future. Recently on the show, we featured a song by <laughs> Elaine May, who has an upcoming EP. Let's have a little quick listen to that. 
So delighted to be joined by Elaine May. Welcome to the No Encore Studio. Thanks so much. Thanks Woo! for having me. <laughs> Everyone gets Pathetic a round of welcome. Right? And yeah. A few whoops. It's yeah, good. Good welcome. Thank you. I think one of these days we're going to expand it to like stadiums full of people just shouting and screaming. Next time I'm in. Yes, well, um, I don't want to put you on the spot straight away, but because we were just talking about it, if for some reason you found yourself in a position where you were being played one song on repeat for 24 hours and you wanted to get through this without losing your mind, is there one song you could go with? Like that I could put up with? For 24 hours. Now, you can, bathroom breaks are fine and, oh you know, the odd meal, but, you know, like 24 hours straight, one song. No pressure, seriously. It's yeah. such a hard question. It's really hard. It's terrible, I know, but, like, I have to ask. Um, I don't know. There's actually probably loads of songs that I could listen to like that because I tend to get a song and get absolutely obsessed with it and then just listen to it on repeat forever. So I'd probably be fine. Like when I was a, whenever that song came out, I guess when I was a teenager, you know, Brimful of Asha? Oh yeah. 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 Corner Shop. Belgium. I had that on cassette and I played it so much that I broke the cassette <laughs> and my mum still says that she's going to hear that song when she's dead because I played it so much. <laughs> so probably that song, I guess. That's a good, that's, that's a good, a good show choice. actually, yeah. I was actually going to say song. 6 a.m. Jalinda Share by Corner Shop. Oh, that's fantastic. Because I played that for a friend of mine before one summer and he turned to me and he went, I could listen to this song all day. Corner Shop must be underrated. Great I think. band. Yeah. Very, very good band. Um, but do you remember Big Brother when they actually did that to, what was his name? Was it Bass Hunter? He was like some Swedish they DJ. They played his songs to him. Yeah, as yeah. a punishment, they put him in a room and just like played his own song to him and he was just, it was a montage of him going insane. Yeah. It was brilliant. I don't think I could hack that now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the thing is though, presumably when you make and produce music, you must spend inordinate amounts of time yeah. listening to, like not even the same song, the same little snippet yeah. and yeah, loop. Yeah, definitely, especially for remixes and stuff or even for like my EP that's coming out soon I have a track with um, you know do you know Temperamental Miscellaneous mm. mm-hmm. yes yeah. Yep. yeah she's class and uh, so I had to like uh, you know comp her vocals and stuff and I, now I know the rap I know all of the words <laughs> to her rap and I was like I was, dri- I was driving to like Galway or something and I just put the track on and I, I was like oh my god I know this yeah. <laughs> like, I actually know it all and then I like rapped it for her and sent it to her on WhatsApp which like made her laugh a lot how strong is how terrible. strong is your own rap game it's not great like it's <laughs> no, not great no Eminem machine gun no ability. I'm very small and I've got red Red hair, and I just don't think that I would pull it off. They don't yeah. sound like things that would stop you. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Actually. Oh yeah, you're from Galway. Did the Galway girl massively offend you? I'm actually from Mayo originally. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. you're fine. So I, did that massively, massively offend you? You're from the west of Ireland. There you go. Yeah, it's all, all the same. Um, yeah, I'm from Leith. I get it. People don't, know, people don't know where that is. As a human being, though, that song should offend you. I oh, think, in fairness, yeah, it's, not, it's not a great song. It's just a really lazy effort. I think. Yeah, like my lazy research. Where, where she's from? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I actually, I, I like Ed Sheeran. I think he seems like a really nice guy. Like, he mm. comes across so well. But I just think that song is, yeah, it's dreadful. It it's really dreadful, is. It's war crimes yeah. level bad. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, okay. It's not like it is. Dave, calm down. I think one of the best commentaries that I got is, "I'm not even from Ireland, and I can tell this is racist." Yeah. Jesus. Well, let's talk about some good music. Uh, we played Anna's Crone on the show before. Awesome, and it's uh, the first new solo material to emerge in quite a while. 2014, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've been working on it for a while. Jesus. Yeah. I know, yeah. Um, yeah, like lots of stuff kind of happened in between and it just took longer, I guess. And, uh, you know, I didn't really want to rush anything. And now because I didn't do that, I'm really happy with the stuff that's that's done. So I'm how glad much, I waited. How much has changed in the interim? Because, yeah. I mean, I, I can remember when you kind of first arrived you said you were very much a, a vocalist first and foremost and now i mean both musically and and even when we see you doing remixes that's clearly not so much the case yeah i'm I'm nodding which is of no use to you um <laughs> but um yeah no you're right like i i guess when i started playing music originally i 
did what I could do, which at the time was sing and play guitar. So, and then I started using a loop pedal, and that was a lot of fun. And then as I kind of started getting into production and realizing what I could do with computers and software and stuff, I was like, "This is class. This is what I really enjoy." Mm. So it was just a very natural kind of progression, I suppose. And uh, now I'm at a place where I am kind of able to make the music that I've always loved the most, if that makes sense. So I guess that's just what I'm doing now, pretty much. Cola mentions remixes there, and uh, the one that you kind of have at the moment is Eliza Flume. Is it Eliza or Eliza? I, uh, I think she goes by either. I okay. asked her this before because I, I mix and match good, depending good. on the day of the so week. I haven't so. found her. Hopefully. No, no, no. But there's still time. <laughs> you're just remixing <laughs> her name. She's That's actually from Sligo, Dave. Eliza Flume, yes. Uh, Bob Gallagher directed video for yes. Sheets as well, which yeah. is uh, this marks, I think you're, you're like the third or fourth Bob Gallagher related artist that we've had on the show. This, yeah, this is our third in a repeating segment of what's it like to work with Bob Gallagher? <laughs> yes, yeah. he's prolific, so he is. Really? He really, very prolific, yeah. yeah. Very impressive. Um, he's class. Like, I mean, he initially came up to me at Body and Soul, I think, like, well, the first time I played was about 2012, I think. And he came up to me after he saw me play and he's, he was just like, I'd really like to work with you, do a video. And so he did a really early video for me, um, kind of back when he was kind of getting into doing music videos and stuff. So that was really cool. And I guess we just became friends, you know, after that. And then for this particular track, I just liked it so much and I liked the feel of it so much that I really wanted to try and do something with it. So he came on board and he did that video and I'm really happy with it. So, Did you know from the start like, in terms of, you know, the way that the song, the way that you kind of reconstructed it? Because, I mean, it, it, it's quite different without losing, you know, her kind of vocal inflection, yeah. which is a huge important part of the song. And I mean, like, like, did you kind of go, okay, well, I have it in my head. And because even go back to like your transition from like a vocalist to kind of jack of all trades really I mean yeah. like, like it's it, I, I really love the song I think it's it's very subtle mm. but I mean again when I say I really love the song it's very subtle I'm sure there's a thousand moving parts in there that I can't quite yeah. figure out um, yeah like I it's exactly that really I didn't want to like overdo it you know because her vocal's gorgeous mm. but I think the original track um, the original track was just really kind of understated and I just wanted to try and like draw that vocal out a little bit more and just kind of emphasize it a bit more so it's just more a kind of about everything that's surrounding the vocal if that makes sense and just to kind of give it a bit more space and a bit more depth so that was kind of what I was going for and then Bob came on and just gave that a visual as well so does that sort of process change how you're going to approach your own music as well because presumably you can then listen back to your own songs and think oh, I want to draw this out more I want to yeah. do some of the yeah, same yeah, sort yeah. of things it's interesting actually that's something I talked about recently because I approach the two things really differently and you know, it's it's kind of easier with a remix in a way because you have a starting point, you know, and you literally can build off that. Right, and and more to the point, yeah, you can't ask Lisa Flume to re-record a line, yeah, exactly. whereas you can do that yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then you kind of tend to overthink stuff, you know. So, it, for personally for me, it's easier. Remixing is much easier, like, whereas, you know, and I guess that's why my EP took so long to do is because you know, there's so much more to it and then you kind of overthink things and like the melody's not right and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, remix is like a turnaround in a couple of months, but tracks take longer. It's one of those perennial, like we've been asking this question nonstop for a year, really. But what do you make of the Kanye West idea of going back and revisiting old tracks? I mean, because, you know, if you've got a problem with putting a pin in it, do you think that going back and adjusting and making changes continually is an acceptable way to handle it? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I think that for me anyway, it's a thing of like, if I basically, if I have an idea and I sit down with it, I, I'm, in, I'm in kind of a flow and that's the time to work on it. And if I leave it and keep coming back to it and I'm like minorly tinkering with it, I lose that completely. Right. It just gets boring and kind of old. And then I'm like, what was I even 
where is this even going like? So if yeah. generally I have to kind of work on it at the time and try and do something with it useful at that time. Otherwise it gets very difficult. And what is the kind of thing that sparks that idea of, okay, I need to do so, I need to recontextualize this melody or whatever? I mean, it, it must be different every time, but I mean, in this case, what, what was it that sparked your thing of just like, oh, this would work well if I send it this way or... For the Liza track, yeah. is it? That just happened really quickly. Okay. I, to be honest, I, I don't even know. Like, she sent me the vocal. I loved it. And then I sat down with it and I wanted to put some really nice, like, melodic synths behind it. Right. And I just did that really quickly. And then the little kind of, uh, I guess it's kind of like a... Uh, I'm not even sure how to describe it, but there's like a little kind of lead part in it. And that, again, just happened in like 20 minutes. And the beats were done really quickly. So that that just came together really easily for me. I wish everything did. <laughs> not the case. Uh, speaking of everything else, uh, Colour of the Night yes. is the EP. It's launching on May the 5th yes. in the Workman's. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we expect? Um, you can expect uh, five tracks that I've been working on for the last three, three years. They're all quite individual because they all are kind of about different things. Um, the Colour of the Night is probably going to be the lead single. I'm kind of working on all that stuff out at the moment. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's quite personal. All the songs are quite like close to my heart. And that's just because, you know, a lot of stuff has kind of happened in the last few years. So a lot of it is, you know, very, it's just me kind of getting emotion out, I think, in a way. Right. Um. So, yeah, a little bit of bearing of my do? soul, I suppose. Uh, yeah, like I think the two things are, are tied together for me. Music is very like cathartic and kind of like you know distracting for me if stuff's going on in my life so it's going to be emotive I suppose right uh, what's it like performing that live then that's a good question I uh, like <laughs> I the the color of the night track it like uh, that's kind of like it's about like I was writing at a time when it was like a couple of people in my family passed away and stuff so I have I've sang it live once um, and that was fine but I I think it will be it'll always be a little bit emotional because that's tied to it. So, yeah. I mean, it's a question that I always have is, is you know, people are like, you know, well, writing is cathartic and hell, I'm a journalist. I know. But, but <laughs> okay. Well, no, but, hell, but like, I'm a journalist. Tell us I more. Know. <laughs> but as in like, you know, you can get emotion out through course, writing. It's a release, but, yeah. But yeah, most, of course, yeah. most of the time when people do it, it's like, you know, in a journal that you stick under your bed. Yeah. yeah. You don't send it to a publisher. And you don't read it in front of people. Yeah. Well, so that's kind of, well, some people do. We don't. Yeah. Maybe someday. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the worst episode of the podcast ever. <laughs> it would be dreadful. We did a live show, went okay. Um, Elaine, I'm curious. I mean, like, you know, like, like you're known for collaborations, um, particularly kind of strong ones in the Irish music scene. Like, is, in terms of, you know, both the personal elements of this upcoming work and how long it took to get here, is there an element of kind of like going, okay, I'll, I'll park the featured artist thing for a while and just really focus on myself? And if so, like, it, was that especially difficult? Um. That's not really, it's not an intentional thing. It's more kind of a time thing. Like, it it actually takes a lot of time to be doing, like, multiple things. And I realized that the hard way, where it's just, like, I spent a long time saying yes to stuff yeah. when I should have been saying no to lots of other things. And it kind of, like, delayed my own stuff, you know. Um, so it's not fully intentional, but I think, you know, for the moment, I kind of want to focus more on just putting this out myself. Like, I'm, I always enjoy doing collaborations so much, so... You know, if once the CP is out and everything's kind of done with that and something comes up, then I'd consider it, you know. But at the moment, that's my focus. 
And upcoming, uh, you're, you're confirmed for Body and Soul, I believe. Yes. In June. Very excited Which is about a that. lovely festival to go to, although it's the festival that broke me last year because the weather was oh, so bad. Here we Dave go. Dave doesn't do festivals He doesn't do anymore, festivals. You know? I took a festival hiatus. I'm on festival break, yeah. Okay. Uh, is it a One Direction kind of hiatus where you're never going back, actually? You're just lying to your fans? Um, <laughs> I haven't quite decided there because like, the, 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 the festivals that, that do the one-day curation thing now I'm kind of interested in. Like, I live around the corner from fucking, you know, Forbidden Fruit. So, yeah. Few yeah. artists and food stalls. But yeah. if I go to Body and Soul, and if you're going to Body and Soul, listener, go check out Elaine May yes. but uh, like, are, are you going to be all around the festival circuit or is like yeah a hopefully I mean you know I, I kind of have to see what, what, what else is lined up but I'm definitely up for doing them oh. very good so yeah well someday we'll do our own festival yeah. What? <laughs> as long as Dave doesn't need to camp again. It's rough. Right? It is. It's it is rough. It's rough. Yeah. The, the, the rain that way that weekend. Were you there last year? It was. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Appalling. I'll tell you the secret of festivals. You want the secret? Oh my yes, god! You need to go to hot tubs every morning. That's what you do because mm. then you're fresh and clean and set for the day. Yeah, I think that would. It's the answer. I did have Reiki you. done when I was there last year. <laughs> it's not the same. You want a shower. That's what you need. That's true. Yeah. See, this is the reason because we were spoiled. Like when we went to festivals, we had B and B. What does Reiki consist of again? It's, it's just the laying of hands, I believe. Um, they don't actually touch you. You're just kind of hovering nearby. It consists of it's them your taking twenty field, euro off you, and, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure putting their hands in like some kind of ice bath thing. And then when you're not expecting it, you're like, oh, wow, I just got a charge of, you know, my chakras went through the roof there. But yeah. I'm pretty sure she's had cold hands. I remember <laughs> Rihanna once had a Reiki person from Dublin who sued her for, like, defamation. And I, I speculated at the time, like, how does a Reiki practitioner suggest that their professional reputation could be damaged in any way whatsoever? I'm like, imagining Dave was being worked on by one person and they're like, no, there's too much dark energy here. And, like, three other people have to come over. <laughs> like, I'm just really hoping, because we ran with them, I'm just really hoping there's no songs about Reiki on this upcoming EP? No, there's not. You're fine. Sorry. Work away. <laughs> Thank all you. good. Got away with that one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're launching on May 5th. Is, like, it comes out Spotify and all the usual places in the no, same day? No, no, no. So basically, there's going to be like a track coming out in a couple of weeks and then the EP is going to be coming out after those gigs. So okay. we're just doing the gigs in the middle just to kind of launch them and play them live and cool. give them an airing. So Awesome. So you know, you know how to get the first listen? Hit up the Workmans on May the 5th. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us today. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Woo! Ow. That was great. And given that we talked about it enough, uh, let's get a little listen to Sheets. To me. So that's The Colour of Night. We'll launch on The Workman's on the 5th of May. Elaine will also play Body and Soul this June, so check her out. All right, guys. It's Songs of the Week time. We have five, and I want a number. Three. Okay, what a start. Hey, it's Iggy Azalea and Mo Bounce. Now, remember when people were kind of banging on about Iggy Azalea? The future of rap. Hold on, were they? 
I think there was a bit of a there movement. Was a level. Yeah, there's a bit of a movement. She had that song "Fancy" with Charlie XCX, which obviously the superior barely your song. So Charlie XCX, XCX song. Yeah. Um, I recall she played Wheelins for one of those Arthur's Day thingamajigs, and everyone was like, "Oh, I've seen the future of of hip hop," and its name is Iggy Azalea, or whatever, however you pronounce it. I mean, you know, when we when we pick snippets to play on songs of the week, we we, we tend to go for thirty seconds because we don't want to, you know, like go too long. And sometimes those thirty seconds don't capture the spirit of the song, and they could be a bit abstract. But also, I might encourage you to check it out. So we do our very very best, listener. Uh, rarely does thirty seconds give you the whole song, but here it is. Yeah, yeah just this ten times. I mean, really, this is what 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 is this? <laughs> is this a song? <laughs> I know, and and what's more, I mean, like not even to go thematically exactly like House of Pain's Jump Around, but to actually borrow entirely from the sonics of it as well. Yeah, it's so dated. Yeah, House of Pain's a great show because, yeah, it really sounds dated. Um, Every individual element of this is not good. (laughs) And she, I've realised she does the same thing on every song because, like, just when this finished, you know, mercifully, her other stuff was just coming on Spotify and I was like, well, she's doing the exact same thing. This is just identical stuff. And it's terrible. I guess it's it's clearly it's clearly a case where the writers or her or whatever have no faith in the hook because it's a case of we really need to hit this home. People need to get this stuck in their heads or else we've got nothing here, guys. Yeah, um, I just feel like she's not very interesting. And like even when she's paired up with people, as you say, Charlie XX stole that song because it was blatantly a Charlie XX song. She did a track with Rita Ora, which had one of these like belaboured, terrible videos, which had like Paul Sorvino and Michael Madsen oh, yeah. in the video. Yeah. And like, you know, and of course a shit ton of whatever product they were hawking in the video as well and it's just not memorable i mean like she's memorable because she's got presence and she's got like a twang but like i mean like maybe arguably and and she dated if not still dates a bloke who gave himself the nickname swaggy p wow i didn't know that (laughs) is this the basketball game yeah exactly i didn't i didn't need to know that they Um, were on that um what's that karaoke thing together what nick cannon's lip syncing lip sync battle thing yeah they're on that together as a couple it was very cute it doesn't sound cute. This song, this song sucks. Let's move on. No. Number, please, Craig. Can I have four, please, Dave? You can, man. It's your boys, Gorillas. The song is called Andromeda. Here it is. Say Craig's boys because Craig was the one who pushed Natasha Bedingfield out of the songs of the week this week. <laughs> Sorry, Natasha. In favour of Gorillas, who released five tracks on the same day, and uh, yeah, I four. still don't care about Gorillas. Do you, have you never cared about Gorillas? I don't whatsoever. get it, man. You're totally missing out. I don't get it. I feel you're probably coming at it from an angle of seeing the way it's presented, which has always kind of irked me, and I don't think the cartoon band thing particularly works. No, if anything, I think the presentation is all right. Okay, well then. <laughs> Just the randomness of their <laughs> coming at it from their singles, because especially with this, where we get like a clutch of songs, and this ties into why I don't think the concept really works. Because every song, like there's a Vince Staple kind of just you know flex 
there. Yeah. It's not what we just listened to. But there's, you know, there's a grime track. It's so disparate that it, you're not really getting a sense of a unified band or even what the project is. So all that's tying it together is the occasional Damon Albarn vocals. Now on this, this is probably as representative as you can get of them in terms of just kind of shed of any real kind of collaborations or star turns from other people. I thought this was a great track. I mean, I just I think Damon Albarn's a creative genius in terms of his melody writing, his songwriting. I think he's great. And this is just, yeah, I instantly like this. This works for me. Sometimes I find myself, you know, with the weeks can be busy with, with music and you can be doing like five things at once. And I find that a track really has to kind of punch itself in order to get my attention. This didn't. I thought it was fine, but I, I couldn't tell you anything about it. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember the melody. I found Albarn to be quite just apathetic on it. And it doesn't yeah. inspire me to listen to the album. I, I will listen to the album, but I don't really have time for this band. Cullum. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Um, I was fairly uninspired by this track. And the one thing, I suppose, that you know makes Gorillaz Gorillaz, so to speak, because like you say, they are short of an identity in many ways, mm. is that they're a fantastic singles band. Yeah. That, you know, even if they're they are just sort of like, you know, very separate and, and, and quite unconnected tracks on a record, you can definitely take three or four off and guarantee like this'll be big on radio for a year. And yeah, this track does not make me think that uh that's the case for this one. Yeah, I mean certainly when they came back with Stylo and Bobby Womack just being incredible on the last albums, like yeah, that was much more of a kind of showpiece. Whereas with these songs, they're kind of, they're individually enjoyable. They're nice. It's interesting. They're not really kind of like, oh, here's your big single. But I'm already imagining how they fit in over the course of an album. And I really actually, I thought Plastic Beach was a fantastic record. The way it sat together was just great. So it worked for me as a long playing experience. And I'm going to imagine that the upcoming record is going to do the same. So I'm looking forward to it. The album is named Humans. It's out pretty soon. And I might wait for Craig's verdict before I go to it. Cullen, give me a number. Uh, number one. Okay, he's back. It's Kendrick Lamar. He's proclaimed himself the best rapper alive. Is he? This is the hard part four. I won't tell the truth about you. My fans can't wait for me to sun your punk ass and crush your whole little shit. I'll be pun your punk ass. You a scared little bitch. Tiptoeing around my name, nigga, you're lame. And when I get at you, homie, don't you tell me you was just playing. Oh, I was just playing, K-Dot. Come on, you know a nigga rock with you, bro. Shut the fuck up. You sound like the last nigga I know. Might end up like the last nigga I know. Oh, you don't want to clash, nigga, I know. I put my foot on the gas, head on the floor, hopping out before the vehicle crash. I'm on the road yelling one, two, three, four, five. I am... Okay, so Kendrick, uh, I mean, it should go without saying at this point that the man's ability is just exceptional. Um, I and I, I don't like this track, guys. I, I I think it's pretty weak, and I just feel like there's a, a thing going on now with Kendrick Lamar where... It's very difficult to kind of have that opinion. I think people are of the opinion that everything he touches turns to gold. This, to me, felt quite weak overall in terms of its construction, in terms of its subject matter. Some of its lyrics are particularly poor. I mean, the thing about Donald Trump is kind of embarrassing. Oh, yeah. I was just like, okay, we need Kendrick now to comment on what's Donald going Trump on. Donald Trump is a chump. <laughs> chump. Yeah, that really yeah. took and me And he's like, oh, those electoral votes are, are like those memorial votes. And, you know, like something about Russia and like, you know, I was like, this is really phoned in. Especially when you seem to like nail Kevin Durant. Yeah. In a far a... more efficient manner. I mean, it's like he... He, like, he literally stopped at one point to proclaim himself, you know, the, the greatest rapper alive. And, like, that to me came across as smug. It didn't come across as cool. 
And by the end of like, there's a thing where like you know, like, it's almost like he can he, like you hear a sound effect where it's almost like he's writing so so much and so often that like he's ripping up notes as he does them, and he's he's frustrated with his creative flow. Yeah. But this is not a good result of that. Creative well, I flow. think that's also a the ability is not in question, not at all. Yeah. He's a machine gun, a, a pleasurable thing to listen to. But, uh, <laughs> like machi- any machine gun. <laughs> but uh, not like Machine Gun Kelly, that terrible rapper. No. But no, uh, subject-wise and kind of, you know, uh, thematically, this is not doing it for me. Yeah, I like. I mean, it's not the strongest of tracks. I'm with you there. At the same time, considering what we've heard from Kendrick for the most part over the past two years, I'm very, very pleased to hear that he's back being somewhat aggressive that he's actually you know taking aim at things even if he doesn't necessarily nail them as conclusively as he's done before i'm encouraged to hear what's going to come and apparently it's not going to be that long like he's this friday apparently yeah he seems to be talking about the end of this week Mm. um i guess uh tune into the next podcast to find (laughs) out i actually like this i totally understand where you're coming from in terms of it does seem quite try-hard at times because he's clearly... I think he's fighting against himself and, if not himself, his image now, where he's almost being, like, deified of, of, like, you know, he's the kind of king of rap. He's, like, this Saint Kendrick and he's, you know, the man with this social conscience as well. He's going to say, you know, big things, important things on the important matters. Here he just wants to get back to, like, you know, the kind of street battles and stuff like that. And at times it's clumsy, but sonically, I actually it worked for me. The switch ups were good. I thought it built a kind of a good bit of tension. I thought it was quite forward thinking as well. It was kind of like a spacey, outcast style that's vibe the one, that's to the it. One thing that I will give the yeah. track like that is as strong as it's ever been. That yeah, sonically, like he just continues to. Let's just push buttons that you don't expect to be pushed. As yeah, such. and yeah, I thought I thought also the way it, it changed kind of it, it worked well with his mood. I also like the fact that he's desperate to get in a, a fight with Drake, and Drake is just like, "No, I'm yeah, not doing it, mate." <laughs> that is but funny. That I'm is ex- funny. I was excited to have him back because apart from his appearance on that Danny Brown album, which was fantastic, I've been kind of ignoring his, you know, him popping up on dreadful pop songs, and I steered clear of Untitled Unmastered because don't call a record that and expect me to listen to it. I don't have enough time to listen to your demos. Go away. Give it a proper name. It's good. But I would agree with you. Um, I'm going to give the last word in this to former guest on the podcast, Dave Higgs Higgins, oh. who said, this Kendrick song kind of feels like watching Steph Curry shoot warm-up threes. Impressive, <laughs> but not exactly the real deal. Sure. Yeah, it's a warm-up, yeah. Hello, Dave Hannity here from the No Encore Music Podcast with a very important update based on what we were just talking about. Since we recorded the episode, Kendrick Lamar has in fact released another new song. This one's called Humble. You can probably hear there in the background. Hopefully it's not too loud. I am recording this on my phone on a Sunday. How was your Sunday? I hope it was good. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm a Kendrick fan and um, I think he's fucking great. As I said before, his ability is never in question. To Bim Butterfly is a tremendous record and even before that, Good Kid, Mad City is of course brilliant too. I just feel like he's dropped it. I feel like he's kind of dropped the ball, and yeah, it's just not very good. Um, I mean, like, I'm all for brevity, as we know. This coming in a trim two minutes and 58 seconds is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and thank you, Kendrick. But sadly, there's just not much going on here. And the video's good. There's kind of some hidden meanings in it, and some good societal commentary, some good commentary on the rap scene that he seems to be taking issue with at the moment, and it's incredibly well filmed. I think the raving for that is justified, for sure. The track, though... Uh, no, it's just kind of obnoxious and annoying, and despite what all the cool kids are telling you, this is a swing and a miss. Let's hope uh, the album is pretty good. We'll see. Okay, we got two to go. Number two. Okay. 
Also back is Zane of uh, getting a bad review on this podcast fame and other things as well. This song is called Still Got Time. did a song for the Fifty Shades of Grey Darker whatever it's called the yeah, Fifty Shades Darker uh, soundtrack with Taylor Swift don't pretend Swift. you don't know <laughs> yeah, it was front row center it twice in my, in my gimp suit and um, yeah it's got to get an airing every now and then guys so um, yeah he does that with Taylor Swift um, called I Don't Want to Live Forever which is actually really really good I very much enjoyed it she didn't bring much to the party but what a shock and we kind of want more for Zane. You know, we kind of, that album that came out, Mind to Mind, we were like, some of these tracks are really good, but most of it is a bit filler, and we were promised so much. He's hooked up with Party Next Door on this track. Yeah. And I mean, like, it, it was Toby Carr, I think, who first vocalized, at least aggressively on this show, uh, The Hatred of Tropical House. Yes. And this is 101, isn't oh. it? And the worst thing of it is that, as you mentioned, when we reviewed Zane's album, we talked about, you know, some of the slightly more interesting things that were on it, which was, A, the fact that, you know, he might lyrically bring some sort of perspective to this bizarre life in the public eye and sort of almost child star turned, you know, grown up and the growing pains associated. And musically, the most interesting stuff was some of the Arabic and Middle Eastern influences yeah. yep, that he yeah, brought. Yeah, very much so. And yet yeah, none of us here, absolutely none whatsoever. This is like this is the stereotypical pop song that could be given to anybody <laughs> and it's going to sound pretty much the same. He's been chilling in Kingston with Drake. <laughs> this is so, the smacks of like a cynical, oh, we have to kind of ride this wave of what's in the charts. And the thing about this song is there's like... Very little to it. I mean, you've got some of that high life guitar going on in the background, which kind of reminded me of like when Vampire Weekend first came out, and they were using those influences really well, and it got me excited for a new Vampire Weekend album. Um, but anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, there really is nothing to this song, and the thing about it is, there's no, there's no build. Like, like his vocals add nothing to the music that's going on underneath. There's no hook to speak of. And it doesn't go anywhere. I talked about like some of the switch ups in the Kendrick song, like giving it a bit of, you know, some form of dynamics, some form of kind of sonic narrative. With this, there's no tension. It's not going anywhere. It's just there. And it's very easy to ignore, thankfully. Yep, lightweight, unmemorable, disappointing, not expanding on a sound, you know, not hitting your strengths at all, and just feels like, let's just get the song out there, and let's promote it with some kind of, you know, orange, blue, teal colour thing on Spotify and on the YouTube video, and like, it's all about the aesthetic and about the the names on this, and just about radio play, and uh, no, I I don't like it, I still hope for good stuff from Zane, because I think he's capable, but this song is not among them, it's poor. Closing us out this week, a man who is probably at this stage getting to overhead the albatross levels of being sick of ass when his album is coming out. It's Reggie Snow, and this song is called Flexin'. Crack it, crack it, make 
Tarzanac, Paddy Whack, crashing up the Audi, I'm a schizer when I spit on track, it's that shit that God was playing, in his fucking dreams, beg the boy to river dance, I'm Irish, what you fucking mean, I'm gonna shake your life, it's happy, break dance on my mama's Camry, fade away, my knuckles knocking, purple fluid zombie walking, sick of all you rappers claiming plug, plug that's kinda awkward, sick of all you thought these plastic booties on my homie slaughter, still my boy shoot that police, featuring Ebenezer, flexing there by Reggie Snow, uh, he kind of put up a note with this saying that, you know, like, oh, you know, like, like I am working that album, maybe beginning of next year, it's not too far away, but I want to put out some stuff in the meantime to keep people happy and engaged. Guys, are you happy and engaged with this track? No. Hmm. Um, why you take the synths from Harlem Shake Yes, and try to rap over them, I have no idea. That's what Thank this is, you. right? Thank you. Do you have this too? Yeah, Good, of course. Because I was listening to it just going like, can't be just me here, can it? I haven't watched that many viral videos and it's like just become imprinted in my brain that I'm hearing it where it doesn't exist. It's a really annoying beat. It's a really annoying synth line. And it's especially upsetting because I love Reggie Snow's delivery. Yeah. Because he's got that really languid, really effortless thing that especially here contrasts with like a slightly hysterical hook. Um yeah, musically, this just isn't working for me. Yeah, I, I felt like they were going for some ominous kind of odd future thing, almost. And yeah, I like Reggie. Um, I, I want the best for the bloke. <laughs> I really do. Um, Big talent. And he's always an enjoyable listen. But with this, it just felt like a facsimile of other stuff. Even lyrically, I don't know. It just, just seemed redundant or something. I the mean, one, thing I'll, the yeah. one thing I'll say on, on that front, though, is that, like, you know, frankly, he's the sort that does push boundaries, he does try to do new things, mm. he changes it up an awful lot, so he, more than most people, I'm willing to like give him a pass on a misstep because, oh, yeah. you know, this is probably no indication of what we're going to hear next, he's going to change it up again and, you know everybody has an off day, I guess, but I think definitely this is one of them. I didn't get the Harlem Shake thing at all, I have to say. I mean, now that you say it I can kind of hear it, but I, I didn't, it didn't come to me. And I quite like this song I, I quite like the atmosphere of it and I would agree that it's, you know, it doesn't have a lot of substance to it but I don't think it was ever meant to especially if it's a stopgap song I found it very enjoyable and I thought the work in it was quite good from all involved and yeah it, it definitely kind of made me look forward to the record even if it is not an indicator of what's to come uh, in, in terms of things that are ominous though I, I must say that I, I've just twigged now that uh, for the last hour or so there's been a, a copy of a Glenn Hansard album with his face on it looking with his jaw agape staring at me for for pretty much the duration of this podcast so uh, I think that's as good a time as any as to wrap up songs of the week and move on to our album. Indeed Which, it is. We've been looking forward to this sorry, one. I'm just going to go up this other room and just get rid of this. Well, <laughs> out the window, Dave. Out the window. No. And also, that's it, it's, it's not a photograph of him. It's a painting and he looks very severe. He looks right into my soul. Yeah. <laughs> it's a right into my haunting soul. image. Don't like it. Sorry, Cullum. We've been As looking forward saying, to this. Yeah. We've been looking forward to this one for quite a while. Uh, it is 75 minutes long. It is probably one of the most ambitious records of the year. But is it any use? It's a new one from Father John Misty. It's called Pure Comedy. It sounds like this. Naturally the dying man wonders to himself His commentary been more lucid than anybody else had he successfully beaten back the rising tide of idiots, dilettantes, and fools, 
That is Ballad of the Dying Man from Joshua Tillman's, uh, well, opus, frankly, 75-minute epic. Um, I said a couple of months ago that this was either going to be a triumph or a disaster and that it probably couldn't fall somewhere in between. Mm. So what side did it fall on? Before you reveal this, you know, for listeners who may not be regular listeners or don't know, we have a rule in that we don't talk about an ongoing album via our group chat or whatever like as the week goes on sometimes it's very the temptation can be too much and i really kind of want to get the i want to take the temperature of where we kind of all are and i really wanted to do it this week in particular so i'm kind of on tenterhooks for cullum to finish that sentence that's why i interrupted it right well i'm gonna now interrupt and um, say that i think i know where he's going with that sentence so do it's I. an old switcheroo whereby he says it kind of falls between both. And that was my feeling on it. Um, because I think with this record, which I've been waiting for for a long time, and I'm a massive fan, I think he's supremely talented. Listening through it time and again, there was lots of moments I was, moments I was really, really enjoying, and there's some great stuff, and it sounds gorgeous. I couldn't shake this feeling of disappointment. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Craig has left the studio. <laughs> Cullum, no, I, I insist you finish. Okay. Um, <laughs> We're really I, dancing around this. Okay, I, I, I was disappointed by this album, and I honestly wonder exactly what he's trying to do. See, this is the thing. Father John Misty is very much a guy who plays to the gallery, sure, but not to the masses. He knows his audience, and it's very much for them. It's it's for the knowing crowd, and like everything from his interviews and his sort of public persona and his live performances to his perform to his albums um, are very much sort of aimed that direction. The thing is, if you get Father John Misty, this album seems way too simple and too plain. It took one verse of one song for me to go, yeah, I get this. And from then on, there's really quite little by way of surprise. I, sure, want, you to well expand, I want you to expand on getting Father John Misty because I want to even talk about, you know, the character of well, Father I'm John certain, Misty. Well, I'm, cer- I'm certainly talking about the worldview on this record. Okay. Which is Do you think of, this is a concept album? Oh, definitely. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It is in the sense that he's talked about this where actually there's kind of characters within the character of Father John Misty and he said the first record as Father John Misty was the weird American and you get a lot of that the kind of zaniness he'd moved to LA he was kind of having all these kind of there was a lot of great rock on on that the last record was The Ideal Husband he said which is you know okay makes sense it's like about his marriage and kind of this sense of love he's called this character the comedian and I don't really know yeah what he means by that because okay this is his big state of the world address over 13 tracks more or less absolutely um and where Colm says yeah the first opening lines you kind of get where he's going with this it just becomes a bit redundant well, and if he's going that, for a comedian it, thing it. it's just like the punchlines aren't quite funny enough either absolutely and mm. what's more they don't stand up to repeated listens and the main thing for me though is like i say if if and I think he has to be, at this point, he says it himself, like, that he expects this record to lose him fans, like the college dudes who thinks he's just, like, some sort of quirky entertainer, that this is going to lose them. Mm. Which is fine, and clearly he's fine with it as well. But if he's preaching to the converted, 
you don't need to make it so repetitive, so seemingly simple and relatively one-dimensional where, like I say, he keeps returning to the same ideas, the same sort of structure. It's like, we get it. One of the joys of something like I Love You Honey Bear was the fact that you were like, this is a love song that I've no idea where he's going to take it next. I have no idea what he's going to say. Whereas this, I felt like I knew it before it happened. Repetition is definitely an issue on this record. Do you not feel like it's artistic growth to effectively do an about face three albums in and to commit so strongly to what, you know, one man's one dimensional is another man's introspection and kind of soul searching and also providing commentary. I mean, the character of Father John Misty, if there specifically is one overall character, and I'm not sure that there really even is. I think is like a wry, sardonic dude who wants to kind of shine a light on the world and that kind of thing. Now, does he belabor the point? Yes. Could you lose a track or two? I'd lose one, and that track would be the memo. But overall, um, I'm on I'm on the other side of the, on, on this one, guys. I think this is an excellent work. I think this is his best work. I think this, these are arguably his best songs, and I think that he has really, really accomplished something very, very special on this record. And, you know, my kind of breaking point at one point was Leaving L.A., which comes halfway through the record, and he premiered it previously on Lauren Laverne, and it's a 13-minute track mm-hmm. with no chorus. Ten verses, no chorus. Ten verses, no chorus, and it is, it's a ramble. You know, yep. it's it, it stays in the same kind of key, mm-hmm. and it pretty much tells you the same story over and over again. He claims he's worked on that song for three years, mm-hmm. and it's very, very personal, particularly towards the end. There's a moment where he recounts choking in a department store as a child. And while Fleetwood Mac's uh, Sweet Little Lies Sweet plays, little yeah. Lies. Yeah. yeah, and, and he, he says, lives it every time he hears yeah. the song. And he says, That's when I realized that the comedy of you know, yeah, like wouldn't stop for a, a child in that situation, sure. precarious, horrible situation. And I feel like you know, yeah, <clears throat> he makes the point in track one, you know, the comedy of man starts, you know, like, and it's like, you know, the world that we live in. He mentions like he has different uh, descriptions for Earth about three or four times, like, you know, a a godforsaken rock and, Mm -hmm. you know, this big blue ball that's kind of, you know, hopelessly... Refuses to die. Refuses to die. And, you know, fair enough. It is tonally um, consistent throughout. Mm. But I think he's captured something here. And I think that, you know, it's not just navel-gazing. And it's not just a sneer. I, I think there's heart here. I think that there is a warmth particularly by the end, there's a coda at the end which is very much kind of like offering you a glimmer of hope and essentially kind of saying, I've looked at my demons, I've looked at my fear of my own mortality and I've said, you know what? We all got to go sometime and we should stop fucking obsessing over that, which of course is an incredibly hard headspace to snap out of if you do feel that way. I feel that way sometimes and often in the fucking dead of night when I don't want to feel that way and I find it genuinely terrifying and quite heartbreaking. And I liked hearing someone who I felt was kind of of a similar mindset to me and whether he means it or whether he doesn't, he appears to have gotten to a sense of peace. You might argue that that has lessened his songwriting strength. I don't think it has. I think these are brilliant songs. No, I, I agree. The songs are frequently, like, brilliantly arranged as well, it should be said. Yeah. And shout out to Gavin Bryars, apparently, who, who looked after that, because it really, like, the instrumentation, the orchestration. It's lush in the best way possible. Yeah, it's, yeah it it's really just... is. But I just found that so much of 
you know, what, what, what you called to be sort of like committed, I found, I guess, almost self-indulgent. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Okay, that last track in 20 years or so, the whole point of that is essentially the point of the last, you know, stanza or the last verse of pure comedy. And I feel like the track prior to that is So I'm Growing Old on Magic Mountain, which I think, and I agree with you, Dave, you've said this, but you'd heard it before me. It's one of his strongest tracks ever. I think it's just an absolute masterpiece. It's fantastic. I mean, that would have worked as a closer for me because I feel what he's doing on in 20 years or so is kind of how he closed the last record in terms of it's a very, do you know what, I've come to an accepting place and he he does a great job at here's how I'm wrapping up this narrative I've been working on. But this time around, it just felt like, oh, this I now have to wrap this up. It didn't feel like some big revelation because he'd had these revelations on the first couple of tracks. This is it, exactly, yeah. I mean, like, he seems very much firm in his beliefs mm. from the beginning. Yeah. And again, that's not a bad thing. But I just felt as though, like I say, if it, like if you like this album, then you'll probably subscribe to the same sort of beliefs as he has. And if you don't, I can't see anything that's going to actually convince you otherwise. The one thing that I thought of with this, and it's as tired a phrase online especially as you're ever going to find, but... It's kind of, you know, not the album we wanted, but it's the album we deserve. (laughs) Well, no, but that may be, you know, an intelligent, like, legitimate musical talent being quite patronizing and stating a lot of the blatantly obvious is kind of going to be a really effective tool in 2017. We talk all the time about, like, political songs that lack a little bit of bite or protest music. That's you know, really fairly toothless. Yeah, I mean, like he played a gig in London a couple of days ago and before leaving LA, he introduced it as a 10-verse choruslist diatribe. And then afterwards he says, you'll always be able to say you made it through that song. So he's so self-aware that oh, it strikes me that he knows I mean, exactly and, and what within, this... within leaving uh, Another leaving white LA, guy. Yeah, he talks yeah. about yeah. another white guy. Now that's aimed at Trump, but he quickly turns it upon himself. Yeah. And, and yeah, self-aware. So it's clear, do you think, where he's fully aware of the contents of this, how, you know, some people will find it. And it's something to be respected that he's willfully just going, do you know what, this is something that I need to do. This is the statement I want to make and, you know, whatever else, be damned. And he's made the point that he doesn't want to be the song and dance guy. He doesn't want to be doing entertainment. He actually wants to create art. His kind of way of thinking about it is something that can make you look at your own life. And I think he does that time and time again here. And there's some great songs, but I just feel, I mean, the good word is belaboured, as Dave used earlier. It's just when you kind of hit around, the opening four tracks are fantastic. Yeah. It really, really moves swiftly. It's it beautifully crafted the melodies. You kind of hit Birdie, leaving LA, then kind of takes a lot out of you. A bigger paper bag. When the God of Love returns, there'll be hell to pay. It kind of dragged there in the middle for me too. The extent where it was, you know, it was going by nicely and I was like, you know, there's still a level that he can't dip below. But Mm. I was kind of, this needs something, this is very one one tone, it needs a bit of bite, it needs a shake up. He, like, you know, every time he tweets, Pitchfork have a fucking story up about it inside 30 minutes. And, you know, he kind of pointed out something about them and he said, I'm going to save this tweet for when, yeah, he he posted those generic pop yeah, songs, pop which, songs which I didn't go near because I was like this isn't part of the narrative and, I, and I, I'm not interested in the supplemental material this time and he kind of you know replied to their tweet and said I'm going to keep this tweet for when you say that my album suffers from a lack of editing a lack of self-editing so again that's the self-awareness it's 75 minutes long I bang on every single time on this episode about it, brevity um, even though our episodes can sometimes be quite long but um, 
I didn't feel this didn't feel 75 minutes to me and oh, it felt about three hours to me it, I, I, I swear this felt like under an hour to me but here's the thing those generic pop songs right this is why I, I find them so confusing at times because I listened to one or two of them and the tunes on them weren't a million miles from what he's putting out as his actual material so and when he's done stuff in the past where he's doing like a kind of you know pretend commercial for a Prius or something hilarious like that the tunes are still quite good so you're literally reaching a point of like okay so this is what he what he puts on the album is oh these are the wordy songs because of the lyrics right like do you know what I mean a lot of the times these songs didn't feel melodically inventive enough I don't know. I mean, he's become he's become an artist that can now write stuff for the likes of Beyonce and other people. Yeah. And on this, I kind of struggle to understand why because he can really sell this stuff, yeah. and lyrically he's so interesting. But as a like a kind of you know not maybe not a pop songwriter but a rock songwriter, like you know an old fashioned craftsman of tunes. It's not a, like it's very one note at times. Yeah, the melodies aren't that captivating. They're I not wonder, that original. I wonder if there is a sort of a contrary. I think that's the point. But yeah, he's but, done that already, so he's doing this instead. But yeah, but like, cool. So you're going to write like a 75 minute album with very little by way of a memorable hook or melody. Yeah. I was going to say 808s and Heartbreak, but like, that does have memorable hooks yeah. and melodies. But at the same time, it yeah. is that kind of a, you know, like, what is this now? You know, and I think that, you know, the artist. But, 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 but this never has that. This never has what is this now. Yeah. You listen to the first song of this album and you know how it's going to go sonically for, what, 69 more minutes. I mean, when another kind of slow tempo track b- b- arrives, smoochy, but it's actually kind of a relief because you get some of that kind of great Laurel Canyon electric guitar and it sounds gorgeous. And when you're taken out of just the kind of piano, I, I kind of feel like it's too much piano for me. This feels like his Elton John record in that regard. I, oh, yeah. yeah. There are times what, when more very been, much sounds like He's Elton, been yeah. performing live with nothing more than a piano. Yeah. Um... It's clear that he backs this album to stand lyrically, like the melodies and the arrangements, as much as, like I say, the arrangements are actually quite impressive. Yeah. Um, they're very much the, the kind of decoration around the main event. The main event are his lyrics and... Yeah, they just don't stand up for me. They do for me. And I think that, you know, I think this is a very, very strong artistic statement from an artist who, like, even if you look at the press release, again, you know, you talk about being maybe too self-aware. The press release says, you know, oh, the infuriating line he seems to occupy between canny and total fraud online or in interviews. Follow John Missy has cultivated a rare space for himself in the musical landscape, that of a real enigma. Now, what I would say is, in his case, I quite like this. I quite like the fact that three albums in and numerous interviews in which some interviews don't quite seem to get his persona and is he being an asshole and is he playing the role of a character etc he remains unknowable and he remains unknowable after a record that is extremely confessional if we take him at his word a song like Leaving LA appears to be uh, an overlong diary entry but you know it knows what it is it knows Mm -hmm. what it's doing and I quite like that I quite like the fact that like I still you know have questions to ask but in terms of you know musically and sonically and lyrically this all ticked the boxes for me and you know even like to go back to the thing Craig was saying earlier on about you know the ending kind of tying maybe too neatly into the start again I feel like that's the point the record opens up and it sounds like someone tuning in an old radio frequency until they get to the dial that they want to be on and this sounds like you know the curtain coming down at the very very end and I you know I, I it just it all worked like no, it, I mean, again I could lose the memo it's, it's a bit not, too obvious not so much curtain up and down this is a TED talk this is the sort of <laughs> it's not unrealized not fantasies of somebody's like. No, it's not though because like the, 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 there's there's humor here. There's 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 heart here. 
A TED Talk is like You've, often, How many TED Talks have you watched? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Not enough. Yeah. Um, there are so many robotic ones. Though, just like, <laughs> about robots. <laughs> the, the last question I'll ask is, how did you feel on repeated listens? Because I can honestly say that my opinion of this album definitely declined oh, really? the more uh, I listened to it. Yeah. It See, I'm in this me. place where I'm enjoying... Like, I'll leave the studio... Put in my earphones and be listening. Go for a jog by the canal. <laughs> Go for a jog by the canal. Probably not jogging listening to this, but I'll be listening to this on the bus home because it's. I'm enjoying it. It just felt like I was waiting for, okay, he's going to deliver this masterpiece. And what we have is some extremely good piano ballads and then some other piano ballads and then some more piano ballads. I said that it could not be a 7 out of 10. Give me some numbers, gentlemen. I'm going with eight. Yeah, I'm going to go seven, I guess. Yeah. Oh, wow. Craig has gone seven <laughs> yeah, after all. Do it. I'm going six, and okay. I'm very disappointed. To do uh, house that. divided. Yeah, and, and, and what's, what's more, what's more, I've got a feeling that it's probably going to like it even less than a six in a month's time. Really? Yeah, just the way some that of it's the songs aged are, and... Yeah. Just fails to produce anything new. There's the quite thing, little by way of subtlety the thing for, here. The thing is, I just I felt I saw the workings too much. And only because when he properly hits it right, he's so fucking good. Yeah. Like, Magic Mountain is such a, you know... The moment in Magic Mountain, like, you know, when it switches from his vocals to an instrumental and a synth line comes yes. in that is straight out of Vangelis' yeah. theme <laughs> for Blade Runner... That knocked me over, man. I'm, like I was expecting an album of those moments, which is just totally unrealistic. And I'm glad that he's clearly, you know, standing by this statement, and he seems delighted with it, and I, you know, respects what he's trying to do. But like, yeah. okay, this like, review is over. <laughs> like, no, I'll wrap up with this. Like the film Magnolia, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It's a good Paul Thomas uh, Thomas Anderson movie. But I expect Father John Missy to one day look back on this record and say, "Yeah, you know what? It was too fucking long." <laughs> All right, Dave, you have also been enjoying uh, Fionn Regan's new record. Yeah, The Meetings of the Waters, which comes out uh, the following Friday, April the 14th. Um, I've given it a few spins. It's really elegant, as you might expect. It's Mm -hmm. beautifully arranged. And I think you guys will maybe like the fact that it's only 10 tracks long. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody likes that as much as you do, Dave. But in comparison to what we were just discussing, uh, I think he kind of hits his marks quicker. And there's a bit more interesting in in terms of uh, musical arrangement going on in as much as it's a bit more adventurous than this record but i they're 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 just strange bedfellows and i was listening to them kind of in tandem and uh it was interesting to go to a fion regan record uh for a a sense of like a a palate cleanser versus a follow john mystery record even though they're kind of doing the same thing yeah i know what you mean but he really gets into some gorgeous sweeping instrumental arrangements the closing track which i can't pronounce because it's in japanese uh, at least the title is isn't like this big elegant like kind of wonderful sweeping thing and i i, I was really quite taken by it now I, I, again you know uh, first few listens it's too early to really kind of put a score or a, or a rating on it but uh definitely a, an impressive return from fion regan wicked um i've been listening to the new jesus and mary chain record which isn't really that great i mean <laughs> you're kind of like they got back together about 10 years ago and they've been talking about doing an album. Maybe they shouldn't have bothered. But there's a great song on it called The Two of Us with Sky Ferreira, which is well worth checking out. And the Merry Chain always have a couple of, they have a couple of bangers on there. But Wicked. Yeah, and it. in the meantime, I've been listening to really, really old albums that it's really not <laughs> worth talking about. But that's because there will be a new episode of The Revisit huh? on its way to you later this week. So tune into that. And to close us out, 
Well, before we close this out, I guess it's time to decide who is my best friend. <laughs> oh. I don't know. Fine. Let's close it out, Dave. I'll decide next week. <laughs> As always, we like to close out the episode with a new Irish track Call of... Call you're my best friend. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Of note and some renown. Oh Joy is the name of this band. Some say it's an ambiguous phrase. Others say it's an alt-rock band from Dublin. The song is called So Swell and I quite liked it. You're going to listen to it right now. My name is Dave Hanrady. These boys, these no longer best friends, are Cullen Regan and Craig Fitzpatrick. We have been no encore for this week. There will be no encore. Enjoy the track and we'll return, perhaps, if we're still friends. I don't know. Bye. Yeah, I'll come over. I'm doing nothing.
HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. I don't really like music that much. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here for the chats. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.